Ladies and gentlemen, prepare your appetite. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad About Me. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Mad About Movies is your go-to show for all things cinema. Every week we meet and talk movie news, movie rumors and movie rumblings, and break down a chosen movie of the week. But don't worry if you haven't seen that particular movie because we will give you a warning before we head into spoiler territory. And please stay tuned till the end for weekly recommends in which each of us suggests something that you need to check out as soon as you can. And remember... You can find all of our episodes online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's chosen movie of the week is what, Brian Gill? This week we're going to be talking about Jon Favreau's Chef. You're never going to be happy cooking for someone else. Food truck's a great idea. We're talking about a white-on-white 88 Chevy Grumman food truck. It's a blank canvas for your dreams. I'm going to have him pull it around. Thank you. Don't thank me till you see it. Brian Gill. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have you back, sir. Yeah, thanks for uh, covering for me for a week, uh, a bonus episode there. Couldn't make the movie, couldn't make the uh, the record time. So, hey, how many episodes we've done? Like 90 now, something like that? Yeah. And I've, I've missed three, so I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, that is pretty good. That's pretty impressive. But don't worry, you still have time to go see A Million Ways to Die in the West if you want to. <laughs> uh, after listening to you guys talk, I, I don't think that, uh, I, don't think that I, I necessarily will. Uh, it's a bummer. I don't even know how much longer it'll be in the theaters, to be honest. It, this might be the last weekend it's ever in the theater. So. Yeah, it didn't uh, It didn't do that well, did it? $17 million, I don't remember what Ted made, but I, I assume it was significantly more than that um, in week one. But uh, Right. Yeah, uh, it yeah, made $17 not- million, and uh, the studio was um, projecting mid-20s. Mm, so that's not great. Not good at all for yeah. Mr. McFarlane. Uh, but that won't stop Ted Two from coming out, I'm sure, and Ted Man, Three and Four and Five. Ted made 87 million its first week. So Holy that's, moly! That's quite you would think a, that uh, they would at least do 20 or 25. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very surprised by the 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 poor return. Maybe, yeah. uh, especially since my theater was packed. So was mine. Yeah. And I and I've been in many of movies this summer where, for example, Godzilla, there was like literally eight people in the theater, <laughs> and it made ninety million dollars or something crazy. Yeah. Wow! Uh, but it's good to have you back, Brian. Yeah. And for on today's show, we're, uh, we got a lot in store. We're going to talk American Treasures a little bit later on. Uh, we're going to answer a fan question, and uh, let's kick things off, guys, with a little bit of movie news. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let's. The filibustering begin. Can I start this off with some breaking news? Go ahead. Uh, for some reason, um, I've just popped on Yahoo.com, and you know how they always have those 10 random trending topics that don't apply to anything going on in the world? Yes. No. Uh, I, well, I honestly haven't gone to Yahoo.com <laughs> in about eight years. I'm no, no, <laughs> not even lying. Yahoo is my go-to just like when I'm bored. I, I go to Yahoo, and I flip through, and they have like a bunch of news stories. It's just like an easy 10 seconds on the internet. Uh, anyway, but they have 10 trending topics. Number eight, for no apparent reason, Hayden Christensen. Really? <laughs> I'll leave it. <laughs> What's he up I'll, to? Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's talking about him and Rachel, Rachel Bilson's 
uh, pregnancy in Barbados is what it seems to be. Wow. So luckily, no Star Wars uh, 7 <laughs> casting. Hayden <laughs> Christensen has rejoined Star Wars. What he would will you be reprising do? his role as Anakin. <laughs> what would you guys do? Uh, like, everything else is the same, yeah. but they announced that Hayden Christensen is, is going to be wearing some age makeup and playing Darth Vader. <laughs> Well, uh, me and Kent and our friend Jason have a suicide pact where if yes. Hayden Christensen yes. or Jake Lloyd are ever involved with Star Wars again, we immediately end it all. I have so. one of those like pills that like spies, <laughs> espionage guys have. Yeah, cyanide. Yeah, cyanide capsule. That you just yeah. crack your teeth whenever you uh, <laughs> you want to end it all. I've got one of those in my drawer. I'll just pull that out. That happens. Uh, but good segue, Richard. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Since we are the official podcast of Star Wars, according to George Lucas himself. Uh, we had to break Star Wars news for everybody, and this week is uh, packed full of Star Wars news that we need to go over. Uh, we mentioned Godzilla earlier, and what a success it was at the box office so far this summer. And we also mentioned a few episodes ago that the Lucasfilm people are prepping a Boba Fett standalone film for 2016. And so we have a director confirmed for that film, and it is the one and only Gareth Edwards Director yeah. of Godzilla. We haven't talked about this yet. So, Brian Gill, first yeah, yeah. reaction thoughts to Gareth Edwards uh, directing a Star Wars film. Huge. I'm a huge fan. Uh, we've, we've got two two movies by this guy now, uh, Godzilla and and Monsters. He's shown, I think, I think Godzilla showed that he he has the potential to be a not a good director, but a, a like a special director. Yeah. Um. I'm a I'm a huge fan of this guy, and I. I love I love Disney and and whoever's in charge of of Star Wars now with Disney. Um, I love them jumping on this guy and uh, and and getting him in to direct a standalone movie. I just think that's gosh, that's fantastic. I'm so stoked for this. Richard, any reactions to this? I hadn't heard this. This is uh, exciting. Mm. I, I, there was some other uh, kind of distressing directing um, news, which I'm sure you'll can't you'll get to on the Marvel side of things. Right, uh, but uh, but this is uh, kind of balances that out. That's that's very encouraging. That's awesome. You know what? After seeing Godzilla, if you were to ask me like that week or a couple days later, who my number one choice would be for the next standalone film, he would probably have jumped up to number one for me. Yeah, him him or Seth MacFarlane. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still hoping uh, he can be in one of the um, actual um, canon <laughs> films. No, they don't need to waste his talent on just a standalone yeah. film, Richard. Can you uh, voice yeah, right. New Yoda? Would that be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just Yoda, but with the Boston accent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? Gareth Edwards has shown potential um, for a blockbuster-type director. But yeah. even more so, he, there's a lot of grit to what he does. You know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't yeah. just do a, you know, these Spider-Man-esque, like, bright... Summer blockbuster movies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, reality and uh, grit and grime to what he does, which is yeah. flawless and perfect for a Boba Fett movie. If that's indeed what it ends up being, you know, they haven't made an official announcement that it is going to be Boba Fett. That is a rumor. So we will have to see. But like I said, if I was to choose right after Godzilla, who I wanted it to be, it would be Gareth Edwards. I know that sounds yeah. um, easy to say right after you see a movie, but that movie really showed me that he can take material that's not his, really. <laughs> And yeah. um, make something of it, you know, more than just what uh, Roland Emmerich can do. <laughs> so <laughs> there also is a writer that's confirmed for this. And uh, this is makes me a little bit nervous 
actually. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Did you hear about this? I can't remember anymore. Okay, I think so this news broke like right after our podcast last week. It did. So Literally think, like a, an hour after we posted the episode or something like that. Okay. So the writer that they have confirmed right now is Gary Witta, who is known for the uh, screenplay gems of The Book of Eli okay. and After Earth. Okay. And that's Gross literally gross. it. <laughs> okay. So, so, guys, all we have to do is write a very mediocre uh, science fiction film, and we can do a Star Wars movie. You yeah. guys down? I, the After Earth thing makes me nervous. I, I'll, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in that he worked with two very poor directors on those those movies. So maybe maybe his screenplay is, uh, is decent. Come on, bro. <laughs> Shut up. Um, have you guys seen Book of Eli? I have. It was okay. fine. It was okay. It is fine. I thought this. I thought the the base story for Book of Eli was really good, and that things got lost in the translation to the screen. If that makes sense. So I would I would say that's mostly on the director. Now, After Earth was kind of a disaster all around, but uh, I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on. Uh, Working with M. Night's not exactly easy, I don't think. So We're talking about a guy who named the main character Cypher <laughs> Rage in After Earth. That's true. That's Unless true. that was M. Night. Now, that, that might have been totally M. Night. That could totally be M. Night. Yeah. Can't you just see, though, he's like, yeah, this is a great script. However, the main character's <laughs> got to be named Cypher Rage. And he's like, no, like we're just going to go with Jason Smith. No, <laughs> Cypher Rage. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So, like I said, that's... That makes me pretty nervous, but you know, don't be um, confident that Gary Witta is the one that's going to pin this movie, because if it sucks, they'll just bring someone else in to fix it up, like they did yes. with Episode 7, apparently, uh, and Michael Arndt's uh, screenplay. So we will have to see if he ends up uh, doing this, and if Gareth Edwards maybe brought him on board, maybe said, hey, I've got the perfect guy for this, or something like that. Maybe um, Gary Witta had a great vision of what the story should be. We just don't know why he got the job at this point, because... Yeah. Uh, the Book of Eli and After Earth, while they're fine, uh, they're certainly not up to the standards of doing a freaking Star Wars movie, uh, especially the first standalone movie in the history of Star Wars. So, you know what? It's exciting from a directorial standpoint, and I am 100% confident in Gareth Edwards' abilities to make this something really cool and special, but uh, a little bit nervous for, for the writing. But there is more Star Wars news, guys. Casting announcements have come out this week for Episode 7. Pretty exciting news. Uh, one rumor is confirmed, a rumor that has been going on for a long time, uh, since, I guess, last year even. Uh, Academy Award winner Lupita Nyong'o is joining the cast of Star Wars Episode 7. And uh, I saw this online, so I'm not going to take credit for it. Apparently her character's name is Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and Gwendolyn Christie of Game of Thrones fame, has also joined the cast of Episode 7. She so our, Chewbacca? She's Chewbacca, right? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah. But she's like seven foot four yeah. right, in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Maybe she'll be Chewbacca's wife. Ooh. Ooh. I love it. So already four times more female characters than any other Star Wars film we've gotten so far. <laughs> Brian, don't lie. You don't love it because you wanted to be Chewbacca's wife. Well, I mean, that's an obvious, but <laughs> if I can't be there, then I'm not, I don't have, I don't have the requisite height. So right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, guys, reactions <laughs> to, to this casting news, Brian Gill. 
Yeah, it's a good move. I'm glad that I, I think Lupita is very obviously a very talented actress. Um, and uh, Gwend- what's her last name? Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn Christie. Christie. I've only seen her as uh, Brienne of Tarth on Game of Thrones, but she is no. uh, very. Uh, she's a very imposing figure. So I think both of them can bring uh, a lot to the table in the universe. And I, you know, it's good to get uh, some some diverse casting going on. If for no other reason than we can stop getting ridiculous, you know, trolls basically on all the, uh, you know industry websites complaining about the lack of women and yes. uh, people of, of color and, and whatnot in, in these movies. It's it, okay. We're done. We, we, no more. We're done with those. So I'm glad it's good. It's going to be, I think it's good casting all around. Meanwhile, Billy D Williams is like, Hey guys, I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. Remember me? Yeah. <laughs> He's just slowly drinking a Colt 45. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I would love to see Lando again. I don't know about you guys. I would freaking love to see Lando in this movie. Yeah. Just for like one scene with him and Han, just like, oh, hey, buddy. Oh, hey, what's <laughs> going on, man? You know, just something like that. Uh, I freaking love Billy D. Williams. Uh, he needs to come back. So, JJ, I know you listen. Uh, bring, bring back Billy D. for us. Uh, so, guys, there's some more Star Wars, not really news, but leaks have been coming out of production for Episode 7. I don't know if you've seen, but there are some set photos that have been coming out there pretty much everywhere. It's pretty hard to avoid them if you're on any of the movie uh, rumor sites or anything like that. So uh, try to avoid them if you see them because they are pretty spoilerific. Yeah. But um, they look cool, I will say. We have some shots of Tatooine, and it's all practical sets. Uh, I haven't seen one green screen in any of the spy shots, which is fantastic news. Probably about, uh, I don't know, a dozen or so Tatooine pictures were released uh, this past week. Today, actually, uh, some set photos leaked of the construction of the Millennium Falcon. And I think we talked about a couple of months ago, even, that there was already a full-size Millennium Falcon somewhere. Mm. So what I think happened is that the Tatooine pictures leaked, and then somebody was like, hey, man, I've got pictures, too. And somebody just leaked the photos of the thing being built. You know, it might already be built. Yeah. Um, but so sites are going crazy right now, like... I can't believe the Millennium Falcon is coming back. You're really that surprised? <laughs> You're really that surprised <laughs> that in Episode Seven they're bringing back uh, the Millennium Falcon? Um, and there's an X-wing too in there nice. as well. So cool! Really, um, really coming along there uh, at Pinewood and in Abu Dhabi and wherever they're else they're filming. So uh, we will of course keep you updated on all Star Wars related news. Uh, Richard, I want to uh, address the Marvel news you brought up. Uh, there is a director confirmed for the next Marvel series, I'm assuming, or character that they're going to develop, Doctor Strange. And what is the guy's name, Richard? Scott Derrickson. Scott Derrickson. You may know him from such masterpieces such as, and by you, I mean only you, Kent, because Brian and I don't. <laughs> Deliver Us from Evil. Hasn't come out yet. Sinister. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Hellraiser Inferno. Mm-hmm. and the Keanu Reeves masterpiece, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Okay, I have seen Exorcism of Emily Rose, uh, but I saw it in the theaters like in 2005, whenever it came out or something. <laughs> I think I saw that one too. That's one of like five random horror movies that I've seen in the last 12 years. Yeah. And it freaked me out. I couldn't sleep for several days. <laughs> and I did see The Day the Earth Stood Still. Who didn't? I mean, that was... Um, <laughs> that was a disappointment, of course. I've heard Sinister is really good. I haven't seen Sinister. 
Okay. So, I mean, I will never see it. And Deliver Us From Evil, just like 12 seconds of that trailer can make me cry. So yeah. um, I, I definitely won't be seeing that. But I, I have heard Sinister is a, a, a good horror movie. If yeah. you're into that sort of thing. So it's no surprise that they are bringing Doctor Strange to the big screen. Uh, they've been talking about it for a long time. Feige has hinted at it a lot. And um, they hinted at it in the last Captain America film. So it's finally happening. But guys, I don't know if you've heard, guess who is rumored to be Doctor Strange? Johnny Depp was last I heard. Johnny no. freaking Depp. I'm done. <laughs> Imagine the face paint, though, that Doctor Strange could have. Doesn't I thought Doctor Strange had... No, you know, I'm thinking of, like, Doctor Fate. What does Doctor Strange look like? I'm going to have to Google this. He looks like a doctor. He's got, like, a lab coat and stuff. That's boring. It's pretty... And white face paint, and he has a crow. <laughs> yeah, <inside>. obviously. <laughs> He's got a crow. <laughs> I'm only taking the part if I can wear the crow. He gets the crow surgically attached. <laughs> um, it looks like Doctor Strange up. has like a red cape and a blue tunic and no face paint. So I don't he's, know how Johnny well, can do this. Johnny's going to play him as Pete Townsend. <laughs> he's going like he did Keith Richards with, with Captain Jack. He's only yeah. going with 60s rockers. All right. When's he going to do James Taylor as a character? <laughs> <laughs> That's I don't know why that was the first name the best name you could have thought of perfect name yeah I'll hold out for that movie that comes out <laughs> so not very exciting from a directorial standpoint it makes me think it's going to be a really dark movie yeah that's what I'm thinking too like, I don't know if I should be excited I actually think it's kind of a cool choice interesting choice at least yeah. but then at the same time it's kind of a little like oh what you know distressing a little bit worries me a little bit yeah but uh, it's definitely outside the box so that's cool I guess yeah, so it might be literally eight years until it comes out, like Ant-Man, you know? Yeah. They announced Ant-Man in 06, and here we are with no Ant-Man movie still. Uh, still no word on a director for Ant-Man, so if you've been wondering about that over the past week, um, still still no official announcement. Adam McKay is not doing it. Adam McKay said. was rumored, or almost pretty much confirmed one day, or had accepted the, the, um, the job, and then less than 24 hours later, he turned it down again. Yeah. Um, so I think Ruben Fleischer is the number one candidate at this point, whom I came up with at the top of my head last episode, uh, thinking he would just fit the visual style and uh, comedic timing that um, I'm, I assume that Edgar Wright's script has. But he's uh, being so. targeted for Ghostbusters three too, and that's is he? pretty yeah, and that's pretty alluring property right there. Because <laughs> no Man. one has their thumb on the pulse of the comedic scene like Dan Aykroyd. That's true. And you want to go work for him. Ugh. And without Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, too. Yeah, so, exactly. Mean, That's what I'm saying. Like, you can, I mean, not everyone can turn their nose up at Marvel, but you can say, look, I'm working with the act. <laughs> exactly. Ruben Fleischer is not good. I'm just no. going to say. Like, Zombieland is really funny. I really, and I haven't seen it in two or three years, but I, I think it probably holds up. That's a really funny movie. And then his next one was 30 Minutes or Less, and you're like, okay, this isn't good, but... You know, you got to get them checked sometimes. Gangster Squad's awful, and so now we're we're one out of three. And I I I think I'm I'm ready to put in the call for you're you're not good. He's not working with his own script, which which could uh, could be good. You know, I think as an Edgar Wright script, it might be hard to make it bad. But uh, they 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 probably did a lot of changes to that script, which is why Edgar Wright left in the first place. Yeah. Uh, So you know what. I, I really don't care if Ant-Man is even good anymore. Um, it, it just, 
it just needs to come out. And if it sucks, then let's forget about it. You know, I'm tired of talking about it and, and waiting for it is the thing. Just I do think it. We're about two, three weeks away from, from Rudd dropping out. Really? That's true. That's, that's, yeah. uh, this is starting to look poor for him. So for at all involved. So and Michael maybe Douglas. Can, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. That sucks. Yeah. So, man, we'll see. Uh, we will let everyone know, listener-wise, when Ant-Man is confirmed. But, guys, I want to talk one more Marvel thing uh, before we move on and talk American Treasures. We got an email from a listener last week, um, prior or after our X-Men podcast, and he brings up a good question that we forgot to talk about in that episode that I wanted to discuss with you guys. Ken, you know I hate when you engage with these, <laughs> these peons. <laughs> Yeah, I know. They're barely even human. (laughs) (laughs) Well, coming from uh, Spencer Herman, who is our self-proclaimed biggest fan of the podcast and has listened, according to him, every single episode we have done. So that's like, what, over 100 hours of wasted time uh, in his life? I already already hate him. (laughs) (laughs) I've been wondering why everybody has been emailing us and addressing it to Dear Kent and Brian. But now I know why. I've made my feelings pretty clear that I do not care for the listener, and I, I, I would prefer we didn't even record this. Yeah. I, I'm the Tom Cruise of the podcast. Uh, Richard is the, like the Catherine Heigl of the podcast. <laughs> Just exactly. Hey, hey Brian, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Spencer from New York, New York, writes in, uh, "Hey, mad about movies? My question is, how are they going to put Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch into the new Avengers movie, especially since the fact." That Fox owns the X-Men franchise and that those two are technically X-Men. I don't know what's going on, but are they definitely both Avengers? Uh, so this is a good question, uh, and I can't believe we forgot to uh, talk about it Nerd last alert! <laughs> so yeah, Joss Whedon um, is putting both of those characters, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, in the Avengers 2. And uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were also in Days of Future Past, so the question is how... Can that possibly be? And so I've been looking online, and uh, Kevin Feige has talked about it because I'm sure he has been getting a lot of questions about it as well. And uh, he is quoted as saying, There are only a handful of characters that occupy the middle ground. Iron Man's not going to show up over there at Fox, and Magneto is not going to show up over here at Marvel. But there are a few gray points even after the many years of negotiations, and that will only happen with characters like Quicksilver, who have been in the X-Men and also a primary Avenger. So technically, uh, Spencer, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are mutants, but I think from the research that I've done, they can't be called mutants in the Avengers. So we'll have to see if they, how they explain their powers in the Avengers. But since in the comics that both of them are primary X-Men and primary Avengers, there is a gray area there, like Mr. Feige uh, alluded to, that nobody had the rights to those characters uh, in the first place because they were somewhat obscure and they weren't in the initial round of movie rights when when the rights were distributed back in the mid-90s. So I hope that, Spencer, I hope that clears it up for you. And if any of our other listeners have questions, address them to Kent and Brian at madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com or hit up our website and click contact and we will be sure and uh, shout you out on the show. If you email me or, or follow me on Twitter, I'm just going to spam you. <laughs> Richard, Richard sells Cincy now, so that's that's usually what, that's mostly what, <laughs> mostly what he uses sense, Twitter for. A lot of Cincy emails from me. 
<laughs> and rare coins. We're, we're really into rare coins. So. All right, guys. Well, without further ado, let's move on and let's talk American treasures. So this is my absolute favorite segment of the Mad About Movies podcast. And we have gotten a lot of feedback uh, via email from this too. People throwing out nominees. And uh, please feel free to throw out an American treasure nominee if you want to. Uh, Brian, why don't you go ahead and run down for the listeners, if you haven't heard our podcast before, what is an American treasure? Yeah, the American treasures are just the the best of the best that uh, our nation has to offer who are actors. Um, but there's a, there's a strong... Uh, we lean strongly towards comedians of some sort. You have to have been in a movie or TV show. Um, you have to have been in the business for 25 years. Um, basically, you just you just have to be awesome, and uh, and and we we take it very seriously. We have how many how many do we have in the uh, the, the American Treasure Hall of Fame now? Like we've got like 13 or 14 people plus our public figures wing, um, right. and uh, and North American Treasures, but. Uh, yeah, we we take it upon ourselves to honor um, our our favorite and uh, and best comedic talents uh, that our that our nation has to offer. And let's not forget about the main requirement, guys: sense of humor about yes, oneself. About oneself. So, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and read the names of current American treasures. And guys, prepare your nominees: uh, Alec Baldwin, George Clooney, Harrison Ford. John Goodman, Tom Hanks, Woody Harrelson, Dustin Hoffman, Val Kilmer, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Steve Martin, Bill Murray, Bruce Willis, and Christopher Walken, North American Treasures, John Candy, Michael J. Fox, and Martin Short, and public figures Roger Ebert, Tony Uncle Tony Kornheiser, David Letterman, and Bill Walton. So guys, Brian Gill, yeah, who's your American Treasure this week? I'm going to bring to the table... Uh, one of the great comedic minds of uh, the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. Um, definitely, I think, maybe the the most influential and important comedian of his time. Uh, and it's it's kind of crazy that we haven't brought him up before this point. So let me, uh, let me bring to the table Mr. Bill Cosby. Ooh. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Look, uh... Obvious, huge, huge career as both a stand-up um, and on TV. He's done some movies that weren't so great, but we, we, we won't hold those against him. The Cosby Show is one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest pop culture. It I brought know, back the sitcom. Really, it did. It was a huge part of pop culture in the '80s and uh, and into the '90s. Um, you know, even the second Cosby Show isn't bad for what it is. I mean, it's you know, it's not something that I want to sit down and watch every day. But well, if you're homesick, yeah, third one coming this fall, I'm sure. To uh, is it NBC? It's got to be NBC. Yeah, um, of course it's NBC. Why did I even question? Um, yeah, it's him and Sean Hayes, apparently. Just... <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> no, look, great, uh, great comedic voice. Um, I think. Really tried hard to be an ambassador for uh, for the the black community and the comedic community as well. Um, I, I would say doesn't have I don't think anymore has such a great sense of humor about himself at least uh, publicly. But there you know you can chalk that up to 
being grumpy in your old age, I think, uh, at, at one point, definitely had a fantastic sense of humor about himself. He's huge. He's a huge part of, uh, of our upbringing, or at least mine. Anybody my age, man, Bill Cosby is a, is a huge part of everything. So uh, that's, my, that's my case. And that, that show holds up so well. It does. It really does. It's still it's still really funny and like really funny in a way that uh, like it's funny when no one's talking. Does that make sense? Like yes, they have these, yeah. it, it uses silence better than any show I've ever seen. And no one has done more for the Jello pudding pop industry <laughs> than Bill Cosby. Or terrible sweaters. Right. Exactly. The tacky yeah. sweater. He definitely brought that uh, into yeah. pop culture. So, what's your vote, Richard? Uh, I'm gonna go with a very firm yes. Cool. American treasure, Bill Cosby. So it's just you, for the record, you still have to vote for your for the record, Ken. We need to know uh, for the record. It's a yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's such a great candidate. I have a list of, I don't know, 20 or so candidates. And that's one I haven't thought of. And that's just a great that's one that like if I had thought of it, I would have brought it up immediately too. Boom. Boom. Awesome. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring a public figure uh, today. And um I don't know if you guys grew up on this with this um, with this guy as much as I did, or are highly influenced by him at all. Uh, but the more I think about it, the more he deserves to be an American treasure. Guys, American treasure, Bill Nye, the science guy. What movie has he been in? Uh, he was in a a movie with Kevin Nealon. It's called Principal Takes a Holiday. 1998. Wow. So you know it's good. So you know it's awesome. So Bill Nye, the science guy, guys, uh, votes Brian Gill for or against. Here, my question is, does he have a sense of humor about himself? Because 100%. I, I, I kind of feel like lately most of the stuff that you see about Bill Nye is him kind of being a douchebag. Yeah. And that, okay. like... I get that he's like all for or all about uh, like global warming and stuff, and and I'm I'm certainly not smart enough to uh, to contest that. But I I feel like the main part of his life right now is just finding people who don't uh, believe in global warming and berating them. Like that's <laughs> that's I, you my know impression of Bill Nye right now. I thought that way too, Brian. Okay. And the reason I bring him up is because I saw an appearance. Um, of him on last week with John Oliver on HBO, in which they did a fake bit, a fake debate about global warming, starring okay. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Clearly, sense of humor about himself in that regard. Uh, and he is a, a host, a temporary host of Star Talk Radio, a great podcast, uh, ho- usually hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson of Cosmos fame, in which uh, he he is very very funny on there and definitely makes fun of his show and himself. And uh, guys, he was a science uh, consultant on Flubber. So that's obviously <laughs> sense of humor about himself. <laughs> um, but arguably my, my point in bringing him into the public figures wing is that nobody uh, from 1990 on has done more for science education, arguably, than Bill Nye. Maybe the Mythbusters have done a lot or inspired people to you know, major in science or want to become a scientist someday. Uh, but what an original show the Bill Nye the Science Guy show was and very formative on my childhood and my education. So, and just a great, 
great guy. And he's done a lot for the bow tie industry too, as well. <laughs> uh, so I have a vote of yes. Richard, do you have any thoughts on Bill Nye? Okay. I, yeah, I do. I'm first off. I'm always, always have been, and always will be a Beekman's world guy. Ah, <laughs> so that's more, you know, we just stand across a crossroads here. Kent. No, I saw Bill Nye speak when I was in college in person. He came and uh, talked to, uh, us. He's a really affable, fun, funny guy. I'm, I'm with you on the sense of humor about himself. I'm with you at his contribution to just kind of, uh, I think science education is very important and all this good stuff. I will say my one reason I'm going to, I'm going to vote no. And here's why, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, premiered in 1993. Oh. And that's only been 21 years and we have a 25 year rule. Okay. If, if no exception is the rule, then that's that you, I, I can't argue with that, I guess. So if you want to bring this up again in, in a few years, I'm, I'm willing to consider it. But right now, I've got to be a hard line. Okay. Brian, you're a firm no as well? Unless you can tell me that he was somewhere around before Bill Nye the Science Guy, if he was on some other show or something, which I don't know. But right. if you can bring that to the table too, I will also accept it. Right. I, I'm, will, I'm willing to bet and go out on a limb and say he was a science consultant on something before that. Like, they didn't just find a random scientist and make a show about him, you know? Like, I feel like he was in the Hollywood spectrum sure. before that. And so I might have to do more research on that okay. for that. Uh, but, Brian, you, you were a firm him- no, too? I, I'm going to go with the no uh, based on I haven't seen the John Oliver bit or or, or any of the other, you know, things that, that uh, display his sense of humor. But I... I like Richard, I'm willing to uh, I'm willing to do my research. You know what I mean. I'm willing to uh, to to delve into that. Um, I just don't have any of that. I haven't seen any of it firsthand for myself. Uh, listeners, if you if you um, know of anything he was in uh, prior to 25 years, or if you're just pissed off that Bill Nye is not an American treasure, <laughs> feel free to email the show. Uh, Richard, candidate. Okay, I've got one here. Yet another sitcom star like Brian, comedian that defines a certain generation. Some would say the best stand-up comedian of all time, certainly in the top five to ten. American treasure Jerry Seinfeld. Um, Brian Gill, I'm gonna let you go ahead. Yeah, that's a. I'll say this: like, not I'm not a huge Seinfeld fan. Like the the sitcom. Um, I know Kent is, and I, I, I assume Richard is. Um, oh, yeah. I'm much more of a fan of Jerry Seinfeld based on B-Movie um, than anything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, comedians getting coffee with, with, in cars or whatever yeah. is tremendous. Um, his stand-up is, I think, speaks for itself. The... The bit he did with his stand-up where he threw out all of his jokes and came up with completely yeah. new material, that special is is tremendous. Um, highly recommend. I don't know the – I don't. I'm maybe you guys – I'm telling you for the last time. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, that is – His I mean, last stand-up uh, televised stand-up comedy, which was in 1998 or 9, nine I think, so – Tremendous. He, he retired people, quite early. Yeah. Yeah. People need to check that out if they if they haven't seen it. But uh, he, yeah, he's hilarious, and I, I, he is a definite. I think even for someone like me, who's I don't think I'm as high on Jerry Seinfeld as a person, nor on the show as as a, a lot of people are. Um, his play, he, you know, he's he's 
do a place in in a in an American Treasures Hall of Fame or uh, in the pantheon of great uh, comedians of our time, just based on his his cultural impact. I think so. I, that's a definite yes for me. Yeah, you know what? Um, Seinfeld is my favorite show of all time, uh, probably. Um, I'm under the um, idea that it is the best sitcom of all time. Uh, talk about a show that holds up really well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. almost more it's almost more <laughs> relevant now than it's ever been. Um, it's it just shows you what good sitcom writing is, really. <laughs> and uh, you know, Larry David has sort of taken that style and made it into his own with with Curb Your Enthusiasm. So. I I really really um, can support uh, Jerry Seinfeld as an American treasure. I saw him do stand up live a couple of years ago, and he was freaking fantastic. Um, he definitely doesn't do like a lot of comedians do, and he's more of under the impression of I'm gonna I'm gonna play the hits, you know, instead of uh, come up with a new hour every time, which uh, is definitely something that um, if you want to see Jerry, you want to hear his best jokes. So I understand that, but man, he he has done so much for sitcoms and so much for comedy and yeah he's definitely uh i would put him in my top five for for stand-ups wouldn't you who, who would you put in ahead, ahead of him richard oh wow um probably for me carlin yeah is up there um gosh Pryor. my top five is probably carlin Pryor, seinfeld uh rock I don't know who the fifth would be. I, I mean, I'm a Chappelle nut, but he hasn't really done anything in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, um, it's not Louie. He's just gotten big in the last few years. He's obviously great. He's in my top 10, but I'm trying to think. I, I feel like I have a top five, but um, I don't know. I'll have to think about who my fifth is, but that's a decent top four, right? Yeah, that is. That's a hard to argue with that top four, I would say. And um, I, I well, no, I, uh, uh, Jeff Dunham, obviously, right, guys? Or, or the camera guy? <laughs> I was going to say Dane guy. Cook, uh, <laughs> but you stole that from me. No, I'm just mm, kidding. Hurts. Uh, but guys, breaking news. Breaking news on the Bill Nye front. Bill Nye, writer for sketch comedy television series Almost Live, which aired in 1984. Bill, Bill, That's where Joel McHale came from, too. Right. Saw that. I don't know, but that's local. I, I don't know. That's tough. That's not public eye to me. My, my that's entertainment. Bi- that's entertainment business. That's entertainment industry. Okay, if, if that's the only thing keeping you out, that's what I'm saying. You could make an argument that he's been in the business since since the mid '80s. So, um, so I'll leave it at that. Bill Nye's not in uh, this week. We are inducting Bill Cosby. And Jerry Seinfeld, strong stand-ups. Wow, two of the two of the best stand-ups of all time for sure. Um, and 100% American. Tra- hey, ma'am, fam, question for you: Do you own a small business, or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. 
Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Treasures. All right, guys, let's move on and let's talk John Favreau's chef. We're being reviewed by the most important critic in the city. Now suddenly you're going to be an artist. Well, be an artist on your own time. It's my restaurant. Are you threatening to fire me now? I'm telling you what I'm prepared to do if you don't cook my menu. Do you like what they wrote about you? I don't like it either. Who cares? I do, because I could have done better. I should have cooked food that I was going to cook. All right, Brian Gill. I'm going to let you kick it off. Since you haven't been here uh, in a while, what would you think of Chef? I was super stoked about this movie um, going in. I I was excited to see John Favreau return to uh, to you know smaller sort of independent type films after Iron Man and Cowboys and Aliens and all that sort of stuff. And I love I love food. I love I love food TV and and stuff about food. Um, love this cast. I, and uh, I I can't say that I was disappointed this was a really good movie there are some definite definite flaws and uh i'll be happy to get into that as we as we go get going here but um yeah i mean there's some there's there's some issues i think with script more than anything else but uh overall this was a i almost wish that was this would have come out later in the summer because i feel like this would have been like the perfect uh respite from summer blockbustery type sure. stuff very much in the same way that like the way way back was was that way for for me last year i think the you know the way way back is a superior movie and that's i love that movie that's one of my really one of my favorite movies of all time but this is the same same kind of thing like you feel good coming out of this movie it's enjoyable to watch um and it just you know it's nice to be able to sit and watch a a movie for adults that doesn't have any explosions or anything. And that's coming from somebody who really loves summer blockbusters and popcorn type movies and all that stuff. But um, it does get kind of old when you're just getting bashed over the head with it over and over again. So um, yeah, I, I really, uh, I really liked chef. Um, You know, there are things that could have been improved upon, but overall uh, this was a, I I really enjoyed my experience with this movie and it made me super hungry. So (laughs) there's that too. Yeah. 
You know what? I went to, I went into this movie um, thinking it would be more about uh, food culture and uh, what it's yeah. like to be a chef. Um, but I was really pleasantly surprised that it was more of a heartwarming family story. It's really yeah. a, a, a story about a father and son, which I really, really enjoyed and didn't see that coming. Uh, the chemistry between John Favreau uh, and his son in the movie was fantastic and, and came off quite natural, in my opinion. Uh, but I agree, Brian. There are some stuff that I would have taken out or that it could easily do without, and you would have a superior film. But I thought it was extremely well done, well shot, uh, very humorous um, in the opposite way that uh, McFarlane's movie last week was. I mean, there, you talk about a passion project. Uh, this is obviously a passion project for John Favreau. I mean, this came out of his own pocket, literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, McFarlane's passion project is just total raunch. I mean, in, in every sense of the word. So, you know, this is such a refreshing comedy. It's, it's, it, I would put it in my top five of the year right now if I was to, to rank Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about that earlier. I would, I probably still think Grand Budapest is the best film of the year so far. Um, but I would put uh, probably X Men in there. I would put uh, either Godzilla or Captain America. And believe it or not, the Lego Movie has really yeah. stuck with me as well. Is yeah. is a great movie. Uh, so the Hercules, the Hercules with uh, <laughs> Kellen Lutz or whatever. Uh, uh, Richard, that. the Legend of Hercules. <laughs> Show some respect, man. Jeez. <laughs> Um, but man, such a refreshing comedy. And I agree, Brian, this, this could be perfect in like an August release yeah. uh, and, and it would sort of, to sort of kick off Oscar season and everything, but man, really refreshing. And, and I agree with you, man, it, it made me extremely hungry. I don't think I've ever wanted to eat a grilled cheese more in my entire life. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was, it was yeah. that, that should have made an NC 17. <laughs> Seriously, seriously. I, I will tell you, I walked out of the theater and I went directly out and bought a uh, and, and ate a Cuban sandwich. Like I was, I mean, I was seriously that affected by the uh, the food in this movie. Any any uh, dine in theater that's not showing this movie should have their doors shuttered immediately. Like this, this is you would sell so much food if you're if you're showing this movie. Yeah. Richard, thoughts on Chef? Yeah, I just saw it uh, several hours ago at uh, and this afternoon, uh, and uh, I, I too just drove home as quickly as possible um, to eat. Fortunately, I had, I had already planned to make dinner, so I didn't get to uh, quickly eat. But uh, but yeah, it was really fun. I mean, I forgot how charming Favreau is. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was really fun. I really really liked the. I you know look. I haven't enjoyed John Leguizamo since like two thousand and one. Oh right? my gosh! Like, seriously, Ugh. like when he when he was doing like Sexaholics was like the last time I liked him. So it was fun to have him back in my life as an enjoyable person. Uh, the supporting cast was just really really solid throughout. Um, yeah, and uh, that that was that was a nice little surprise. And Favreau was um, unlike McFarlane um, last on the bonus episode. I think Favreau even though. Can't you and I didn't have too much problem with with McFarlane as a leading man? I, I kind of had a problem with him as that leading man. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Favreau really fit this part, and I think was the perfect actor for it. If if, if uh, you know um, Woody Allen made this movie and cast John Favreau, it would still be the same, right? Like it's not uh-huh. just because he directed it that he's in it. Right. Like I feel like he's very authentic to the part, um, and uh, I, I just I I enjoyed it throughout. It was, it was Brian, yeah, very much not quite as good as the way way back last year, but uh, similar type movie. Mm-hmm. And 
it could have been released later on in the summer, like you said, but then like also there's not really that much else coming out this summer. So this kind of is the middle of the summer until yeah, like Transformers. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And man, this is just very well shot. Um, yeah. You can tell he learned a lot doing those Marvel movies aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with Cowboys and Aliens, don't forget. I mean, True. that took yeah. his filmmaking to a whole new level. To another le- whole new level. <laughs> um, another planet, even. Oh! <laughs> um, he really cowboyed up when he shot it. <laughs> Yahtzee! <laughs> so, you know, I know it's, it's, it's crazy to say it's well shot. I mean, it's a movie about cooking, but it, it really does a lot um, to make you want the food. I know that that's... Oh. It's easy to say, just show me food and I'll be hungry. But I mean, he does, he takes advantage of that, um, you know, mentality um, and, and goes full force with it. And it's just so many montages of, of cooking and uh, give him credit because he did all his own cooking in the movie. He actually took chef school and all that and learned how to actually cook. So all the meals that he prepares in the movie uh, were made by him, which is pretty impressive. Uh, but man, what a cool little film it is. Um, definitely something that you can tell he had his heart in mm-hmm. and talk about sense of humor about oneself. You know, John Favreau <laughs> falls into that category. Definitely future AT material, uh, especially the line at the beginning of the movie where they're, he's so concerned about the food critic and, yeah. um, he reads the food review of his restaurant and it says, his dramatic weight gain can only be attributed to the food being constantly sent back to the kitchen. Right. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And just because you know people go into this movie and, and the first thing they think when they see him is like, man, John Favreau's really put on a lot of weight <laughs> right. since the last time I saw him in something. So he clearly is aware of that and worked that into the film in a nice natural way. And it was funny too, you know? Um, but the jokes in here are, are really, really clever as well. Uh, what comes to mind is when he's taking his son to the market to go pick out uh, pick out ingredients, and his son is like, Dad, I want to go get some kettle corn. I want to get some kettle corn. He's like, he pulls out a, a nice ripe orange. He's like, how could you want kettle corn with a, with a f- piece of fruit like this? You know, this is what's good for you. You know what kettle corn is? It's corn and sugar. And then it immediately cuts to them eating kettle corn. Yeah. Uh, I thought, I literally laughed, like burst out laughing in that part. I thought that was such a funny little cut and such a simple joke, too. Um, but man, supporting cast was also great. Uh, guys, I could really get used to Scarlett Johansson with dark hair. I don't know about you. <laughs> how'd, you how'd you guys feel about Scarjo in this movie? Very small part, right? I mean, she's, yeah. You really could have cut her city. out with, uh, there's a, there's a lot of the the cast that you probably could have cut out without any, without missing anything, you know. Um, and I think I think I felt like ScarJo fell into that same, into that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm talking about how did she look in this movie, right? To you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She Can't didn't have much there. other than um, when Sofia Vergara and him are arguing about uh, their past or current relationships, and she mm-hmm. brings up, "Well, what about you and the wait, your little waitress?" You know. That's really the only reason she's in the movie is so we know who she's referring to uh, when she says that line. Yeah. But, um, man, what did you guys uh, not like about it? Brian, you, you said you, you could work on something, but what? Yeah. There's not really any character development in the movie. Like, really, it's just the characters change. Like, there's a there's a difference, and maybe that sounds dumb, but um, 
I don't feel like Jean Favreau's character, especially so much grew through the course of the movie as he did like one scene, he's a jerk to his kid and the next scene he's not like, there's not, it doesn't really flow on that, Mm -hmm. that level. Um, and it doesn't really have much of a narrative structure. Like there's really very little, um, there's not really a third act. Uh, you know, if you're going by the standard three act, play or movie which you know most most films fall into your first act is his fall the second act is kind of his redemption and rediscovering himself which is fantastic the second act is is tremendous the third act is just like uh now he's not a jerk to his kid and and then things are good in life like there's really not too much narrative structure there and you know i i don't think any of those things i more than don't think none of those things take away from the enjoyment of the film. But if you are looking at it from a critical, like truly tr- critical standpoint, those things do kind of drop the value of the, of the film overall. Um, if that makes sense. Now to counter that, you know, it is extremely well shot. It's obviously a great passion project. The characters are fun and enjoyable, um, it's not dark, which it really could, you know, it really could have gotten dark, I think, uh, pretty, pretty easily. So I, you know, I appreciated that. And, uh, I, I, I think there's a great, great level of authenticity here that, uh, that could have been missing if it wasn't a project that he, that he loved and cared about so much, you know, things like when they're in Austin, He's drinking Lone Star beer. Gary Clark Jr. is on stage. They go to Franklin Barbecue. I mean, like yeah. all these little things. It's like they really paid attention to the details of what makes Austin Austin, what makes New Orleans New Orleans. You know, and uh, and and Miami the same way. Um, all that stuff is fantastic. So you, you know, it, it, it very easily. I think you can very easily ignore the structural issues within the you know within the script and whatnot but i you know when i reflected upon the film afterwards and was thinking okay what there's really not a lot there from from a third act and from a character development standpoint yeah you know what i was really impressed with this with this movie that i definitely didn't expect coming in i really enjoyed the music in this movie yes and he really realizes how much the music can uh you know, hammer home the culture of these places. I'm glad mm-hmm. you made that point, Brian. Um, man, he really knows how to use a non-traditional score in a movie. Um, you know, he's one of the few directors left that do, I feel like does realize the uh, effect and importance of a non-traditional score. Of course, you know, someone like Tarantino is famous for that, sure. does that as well. You know, Bob Zemeckis has had his time um, with with some great music. And, you know, Swingers was really great in that aspect for non-traditional music as well. And I'm sure it was in the screenplay somewhere. Most of those cues were at least. Uh, but I really enjoyed this, the little sequence. I don't know if you guys liked it, but the little sequence of the little um, skeleton guy dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just really thought that was really inventive and fun. And And like when I think about this movie, you know, a couple days later... And I think about the most memorable scenes. It's the grilled cheese, him grilling a grilled cheese, and uh, that little skeleton dance. I don't know why, but it's just a really, I don't know, iconic image. I don't, sure. I don't know 
how or why, but it just really did stick with me. I really also like the scene where he goes off on the on the uh, food critic. Mm. And I really feel like he put himself into that scene. And it was sort of him. I don't know. I, I don't know. He's probably denied this in interviews and stuff like that. But it really felt like him sort of talking about or commenting on film criticism, you know? Sure. Like, I feel like he, in the past few years, especially with with Iron Man 2 and Cowboys and Aliens, that uh, those weren't very well critically received. But he, in this movie, he, he literally throws food at the guy. And he's like, I put my freaking heart and soul into this stuff. I work my butt off for this stuff, you know? And uh, I thought that was a really cool way for him to sort of comment on um, what is personally probably going on in his own life. And that was a, a fantastic scene. Um, I don't know if I've seen John Favreau, like, act before, really, you know? <laughs> like, we've seen him in so many movies, and he's, of course, been behind the scenes. But, I mean, performance-wise, he really, like, let it, let it all out. In, in that uh, in that scene, but did you guys feel the same way about that? Did you guys like that scene? No, yeah, I thought it was a very cool scene, and I, you know, you're you're totally right, Kent. I thought that I felt like that was a that was <laughs> I was like, this is my opportunity to take a shot at uh, at critics and have it be part of the you know this movie. The lava cake of, is molten. Yeah. <laughs> it's Thinly molten. Veiled. Yeah, no, that was very. <laughs> It was very cool, and I think it, it uh, you know, that that was a great, like I said, the first two acts are, are really, really strong. Like, the, the build-up to his fall and then the the redemption are, are, are fantastic. I thought he did a really good job with that. Yeah. Richard, uh, what was your favorite scene in the movie? I'm trying to think. It's hard to get past the grilled cheese. That was, uh, oh. that was I would say, borderline life-changing. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I, I really – I'm just harping on other people, but I really like the uh, – I spent a lot of – I live in Texas. I spent a lot of time in Austin. I like the portions of the movie in Austin a lot because that's just something – I'm one of those people that when I see things I know on, t- on a movie screen, I get excited because right. um, I'm the, the lowest common denominator of human being. <laughs> that's us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've, I've sat there. <laughs> I know them. Um, you know who – I like the all the stuff with Amy Sedaris because I just love Amy Sedaris as yeah. the as the publicist. Yeah. Um, just anytime I see her, that's bonus. I think she's criminally underused. The fact that she does like Tide commercials is uh, <laughs> a, a huge front to humanity because she's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I'm with Brian. I think the third act seemed a little bit too kind of convenient in a way, but this is a movie that kind of thrives on that. It was fine. Um, it, the the sweetness of the movie really, uh, really, I think worked on me. I know Brian, you saw Million Dollar Arm this past yeah. week too. You said that had the kind of the similar thing. Like, mm-hmm. there's a level of sappiness you can get to that I will tolerate. Maybe I'm just forgiving on that, but I think no. this operated on that pretty well and walked that line pretty well. Absolutely. I, I think you're totally right. There's a, there's a certain amount that you can accept under certain circumstances with million dollar arm. It's a, you know, it's a family movie. You're going to get some of that with this. It's, you know, this really is can't, like you said, it's about him and his kid. So you're going to get a level of that. Um, it's just how hard you, you harp on it. I think, uh, dictates whether or not you're, you're willing to accept that. So and I thought yeah. they, they straddled that line, uh, quite well. Brian, what was your favorite part of the movie? 
Our favorite scene. All the just, all the food stuff. I you know I said at the beginning like I love Top Chef. So that really cool. narrows it down. Well, all the, like the like there's like three or four scenes where he is actively cooking food and it's just basically just his hands and the food and stuff. A, it's very well shot, but B, like Top Chef is probably my favorite show on TV, and I will watch almost any food related show at least once to give it a you know to give it a shot. Um, Do you watch Chopped ever? I'm a big yeah, Chopped. Yeah, I, I I've watched some of watched some of Chopped. I love that sort of stuff. I I, I food in general like. I love I love to cook. I don't do it very often, and and uh, just because it you know it takes so much time. I did tonight. I cooked. I'm at home by myself. My wife and my kid are gone. So I uh, but I cook for myself, which is kind of weird. But um, by the way, I, Brian, uh, Cooper and Lindsay say hi. Oh, cool. Thanks, man. Thanks for okay, taking no care of them. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, no, but I, there's You're a welcome. great passion that goes into cooking when it's done well, and I I have a great appreciation for that, and so. Um, anyway, all the sequences of him making all this incredible food, like I seriously, I was starving to death and I went to Central Market right afterwards and spent hundreds of dollars on, on food, <laughs> you know, um, so that I can become a great chef this week. Um, you know, uh, there's a, all, all the stuff with, with him cooking. I felt like that was a, uh, I, I honestly could have used more of that in the second and third act. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt like it was a good centering point for the whole the whole movie. It kept kind of bringing you back to the food, which uh, was which was great. I, I, man, I love that that aspect of it for sure. When he's making the pasta dish for Scarlett Johansson, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Whoa. Yeah, I wanted to jump into the screen and eat the food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, the little another funny little bit. I thought uh, when he goes to meet Robert Downey Jr.'s character. And he, he puts on the little booties <laughs> on his feet, and then he starts slipping around the lobby. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a good little funny moment as well. Uh, what did you guys think of – and I know it's just one little funny, almost a cameo, but uh, the little back and forth between Downey and, and Favreau here. I, I, you know, it was entertaining, but it was also another – there's probably four or five scenes in this movie, and they're usually involving a random character who never shows up again. That you, if you cut it, I don't know that it, anything. I don't would know if you could cut that it. though. I think you totally could have cut it. Like it could have very easily come up with an. I mean, and I'm not complaining about it. it too much. Really, I'm not. I don't. I don't mean to be picky at it because um, it was enjoyable. But I, you know, it wasn't central to the plot for for me. But it was, you know, it was fun. It's always fun to see Robert Downey Jr. And I think he and and uh, and Favreau have an interesting dynamic between them. Um, so you know, I'm not. It was it was enjoyable, but like several other scenes, I you know, if they would have cut it and the the movie ends up at an hour forty, then I don't think I would have complained yeah. about that. I think it's central to the plot in the fact that his character is Sofia Vergara's ex husband as well. Like if he, if he was just some random like investor guy or just a dude that was selling a truck, uh, you could do without it maybe, or maybe he could just get a truck off Craigslist or something like that. But I feel like that explained a lot about um, the fact that Sofia Vergara is now living this luxurious lifestyle in this obviously multi-million dollar home in LA. And here John Farrow is a divorced guy who only has half custody of his kid working as a freaking chef, uh, a celebrity chef, mind you, but still – you know, obviously not um, 
living the lavish lifestyle that um that Sofia Vergara is living. So um I feel like, you know, he was there to to hammer home uh the separation, I guess, of their family more. And uh, you know, it ultimately comes around in the end. One complaint that I will have though, and we are now in spoiler territory. Um the one spoiler, the fact that Sofia Vergara ends up joining with the um the food truck at the end, which is on the freaking poster. Yeah. <laughs> like I knew she was gonna <laughs> End That's up working true. at the food truck at the end because it's on the poster. Come on, freaking Favreau. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, but, man, I, there's not a lot to complain about. I will say that the little kid um, was it was really good. And, and, you know, you can really not – it really – we know how kid actors are. It's a really risky thing to have a kid actor in such a, a big part here. But he was quite good, I felt. And um, one more complaint that I do have – uh, with this movie, and once again, I, I will recommend it, but um, it seemed a little forced, all the Twitter stuff throughout the movie. Yes. A lot. You know, it, all the pro- pop culture stuff, like yeah. the Tosh.0 thing, yeah. all that was a little forced. Exactly. And so we'll probably look back in what, 10 years from now and be like, man, that one didn't, didn't, did not hold up very well. Remember Twitter, guys? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, and he really relied a lot on that, uh, not only just for. Uh, a pop culture reference, but to drive the plot um, too, as well. Considering like the last scene in the movie, he watches like a Vine video of him and his kid. Yeah, you know, and that's what brings it all together. Yeah. So I, I'll say in defense of that, I you know you're you're probably right on the it's going to look dated when we watch it in five or ten years. But I did feel like they used that. They used it great, quite effectively. I really like the and way it, they put the tweets in the background yeah, and everything. And yeah, I I bought the fact that that. John Favreau's character, Carl Casper, we haven't said his name the whole time, but that that Carl is has no idea what's going on with social media, like how social media works and all that sort of stuff. So I thought that was a a pretty decent element of of his character and of the, the plot development, I guess. Absolutely. And uh so guys, I guess we can go on to grades now. Okay, Brian, grade for chef. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with an A minus. Okay, uh, Richard, great. B B plus. Cool. I'm gonna go with an A minus two. Like I said, it is. I the the complaints that I have are very small complaints. I know that I had some, but um, it pales in comparison to just watching uh, this dude cook totally agree. for almost yeah. two hours. It really was fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the important part. Like. For me, the issues that I have with it are are actually pretty substantial issues, but the stuff that I liked was just so good that I can, you know, it was very easy for me to to get over that. So, that's that's where I that's that's where I came down. Cool. All right, guys, let's move on and let's do weekly recommends. Weekly recommends. All right, guys, I'm going to do a food-related weekly recommend this week. Boom. And I want to recommend a television show that um, is on CNN, believe it or not. Uh, it's a new series, but it's sort of like uh, the old series. I'm going to recommend Parts Unknown with, with Anthony Bourdain. Is that where you're going to recommend? That was exactly where I was going. <laughs> ah, ha, ha. That's hilarious, yeah. That's the first time that's ever happened, I yeah. think. Crazy. So, yeah, I, I, got, I got dibs. I got dibs. Uh, Parts Unknown, uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, arguably the best uh if not most well-known uh food critic of all time and he uh, he really did get me into food culture and everything i really enjoy 
uh, No Reservations, which is his other show, that it's just basically him going around and um, not only talking about food, but he really does delve into the culture of the places that he goes. He goes all around the world showing uh, you little awesome spots to eat and, uh, of course, talking to people around town and stuff like that. Uh, Brian, why do you like um, the show? Why were you going to recommend it? I just watched one and a half episodes last night for the first time. Uh, it's on net. First two seasons are on Netflix um, for any of our listeners out there. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, but I was going with it partly because of the food bit. Like it fits in with what we were talking about for the movie. But uh, Anthony Bourdain can be somebody that can be pretty obnoxious if you're not on board with him I guess like if you don't agree with him you're gonna hate everything that he has to say and um, but he's very extremely knowledgeable and it is really cool to see him go into Hold these on. what was that sorry there was a noise know. okay keep going it's really cool to see him go into these other cultures and and learn about the culture and the food and how those two things intersect. Um, this is like a great combination of food and travel. If you like watching food shows or travel shows or both, uh, this is really like kind of like a perfect combination of, of those two things. Uh, man, it, yeah, I'm t- totally on board, Kent. Great, great, great recommend. I yeah. watched, watched a couple last night and uh, there's not very many. There's only like 16 episodes or something. Mm-hmm. So you can really blow through it in in a few days pretty pretty easily man it's enjoyable and uh and really really the guy knows his stuff and it's uh it's cool to to see what he has to say about each of these various places that he's at and believe it or not i mean for being the most well-known and successful food critic of all time arguably he's not very pretentious about it at all i mean he he doesn't go in and demand five star meals. I mean, the dude goes and eats out of food trucks half the time, right, and like right. out of people's kitchens, home kitchens, and stuff like that. He just likes good food. He doesn't care mm-hmm. where it's from, who made it, or anything. He just loves loves great food, and it's so fun to watch him uh, just walk around these places. And like like you said, it's more than just food; it's also travel too. Yeah. So if you like either yeah. of those, you'll really enjoy. Um, uh, Parts unknown from Anthony Bourdain. That's my recommend. Um, Richard, rec- weekly recommend. I'm going to recommend a little uh, CNN show called um, "It's with Anthony Bourdain." And, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do a food uh, show as well. I, I did uh, I did Cutthroat Kitchen a couple months ago, uh, which is a Food Network show, which is kind of fun. Um, obviously, I, I recommend anything with Guy Fieri as well. Uh, <laughs> but launching here in the next few weeks or week actually is uh, kind of the uh, anchor show for Food Network, and it's uh, Food Network Star, um, and it's kind of like American Idol for Food Network. And at the end, they give whoever wins gets like their own show on the weekends um, to uh, cooking to their taste and having they get their own cooking show essentially. So uh, wow, it's it's pretty fun if you like those kind of competition style reality shows. I watched it last year, and I'll probably catch a bunch of it this year. Um, but the 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 judges are good. Um, it's Bobby Flay and Janet uh, De Laurentiis and uh, whatever his name is, Cutthroat Kitchen guy, the creepy guy, Alton Brown, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's the, you know it's it's interesting to watch kind of food be judged that well, and they're also being judged on their presentational ability, um, whether or not they'd be good on camera and things like that. So it's kind of a good uh, a good mixture as well. So uh, Food Network star, I'm going to recommend. So they all went with food recommends. Good times. Yeah. Uh, Brian, you have anything else to recommend since I. I jumped on on your recommend before you could. 
Guys, sh- guys, grocery game, diners, drive-ins, and drives. <laughs> oh gosh, um, yeah, sure. I'll give you a. I watched a documentary a couple of uh, weeks ago that I was going to hold for another week, but uh, since since you stole my my weekly recommend for this week, um, this has been on my Netflix queue for literally years, and I uh, just never gotten around to it. And I finally. Finally did uh, a few days ago, two weeks ago, something like that. It's called uh, Who is Harry Nilsson and Why is Everybody Talking About Him? Oh, it's yeah. just a documentary about Mr. Harry Nilsson who uh, I feel like people our age don't know anything about this guy and don't yeah. recognize the name even. And um, I I kind of grew up on Harry Nilsson. My dad was a huge Harry Nilsson fan. Um, so I, I kind of – I think I kind of grew up thinking everybody knows who this guy is, like just on the same level that everybody knows who like the Beatles are and, um, and have discovered now in life. (laughs) Yeah. I've discovered this at, you know, at this age, uh, that nobody knows who, who he is. And, and that I think is a real shame. One of my favorite artists of all time, um, has some just tremendous songs, uh, and, uh, this documentary is really cool. It's just, you know, he died in 1994. So there's some like archival footage of him seeing and, and interviews with him and stuff like that. But it's, it's more, uh, the people, f- you know, in his life at the time talking about his, you know, from his birth through, you know, his, his success as a recording artist and, uh, and then into death and everything. But it's cool because you get a good, you get a great sense of how important he was to the people of that time, even if he's not super important to, uh, to us now to like our, our generation, but lots of uh, commentary from, uh, from members of the Beatles, um, What's the guy's name from the monkeys? Uh, Mickey Dolenz, Eric Idle from Monty Python. I mean, like Dustin Hoffman, tons and tons of uh, people pop up, have a lot of great commentary on the guy. And the, and the music is is tremendous. So it's it's definitely worth watching. Uh, again, it's called Who is Harry Nilsson and Why is Everybody Talking About Him? And also just if you're if you don't really know anything about Harry Nilsson, but you're a fan of of music <laughs> just in general, uh please just get on iTunes and, and check out some of the songs. Everybody's talking. I think everybody kind of knows that one, but uh, without you is one of my probably 10 favorite songs of all time. Um, lots of, lots of great stuff that uh, I would love for the younger generations to, uh, to kind of pick up on. So cool. Good recommend, Brian. Uh, where can I find you online? You can find me on Twitter at bgill 12 or you can find my writing at CanBabiesDrinkRedBull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barton. Kent, where can I find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and you can find all of our episodes on the internet, on iTunes, or at MadAboutMoviesPodcast.com. And on that note, guys, until next time, we'll see you at the cinema. Goodbye! Goodbye.